So have you ever been tempted to do something that you knew was wrong? You know, the, the wrong thing. Maybe pull on your sister's pigtail, for example. Or maybe walk over to your brother when he's playing his video game and he's on level 147 and accidentally hit the reset button while he's playing. Maybe you've been tempted to do something like that. Maybe you've been tempted to leave off a few details of why you missed curfew. Maybe you've been tempted to leave off a few details on your tax return, a few numbers that you decided not to add. Maybe you've decided to add a few imaginary miles to your expense account. Maybe you've decided to add a few imaginary skills to your resume, things that you really are not able to do. Maybe you have been grabbing that credit card for the seventh time in ten minutes. Or maybe you're grabbing that seventh mint chocolate cheesecake brownie. Either way, all of us have faced some kind of temptation. We've, we've been lost in the winds of temptation. And then sometimes we don't even want to get in the winds of temptation, so we just kind of check out and, and stay away from everything, right? Cartoonist David Gilbert writes of character Paul going to check on his dog, Buckles. And Paul walks in, and this is what he says to Buckles. Buckles, all you do is lie around all day. Why don't you get up? Why don't you go do something? Stop being so lazy. Find some dog stuff to do and don't just lie around. So Buckles says to Paul, okay, I'll, I'll find some dog stuff to do. I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll go chew up something or I'll go dig a big hole in the yard or, or I'll bark excessively at the neighbors. In the third frame, Jill asks Paul, hey, where's Buckles? And Paul says, oh, I told Buckles to go lie down. We all know that there are temptations greater than just fibbing on curfew. Temptations greater than just eating too many brownies. Temptations greater than barking excessively at the neighbors. And I do hope that's just your dogs that do that. We know there's serious temptations. There's, there's things that create turmoil in our life. The kind of temptations that can come from any corner. The temptations that can discourage children. Temptations that can dishearten parents. Temptations that can destroy reputations. Temptations that can divide churches. Temptations that can devastate marriages. You see, temptation doesn't always come just through, through drinking or through drugs or, or through depraved websites. See, temptation can have a lot of different forms. So you can be tempted to be rudely critical to your wife. You can be tempted to give your husband the cold shoulder. You can be tempted to badmouth your parents to your friends. You can be tempted to expect way too much from your children. See, no matter who you are, no matter where you were born, no matter who your family is, no matter how much money you have, no matter what your title at work is, at the end of the day, there is not a single person in the universe that cannot be attacked by every single form of temptation. I know what you may be thinking. Whew, man, glad I came to Holland Avenue today. Boy, I'm going to get attacked this morning by temptation. Well, not only are we going to give you fried chicken, so that will help a little bit, but there's also a lot of encouragement we have for you this morning. What kind of encouragement? Well, it's the kind of encouragement 
that can help your mind when your mind is just frozen and you can't think. When your mind is, is full of worry or full of fear. When your mind is, is full of pride and, and sin. It's the kind of encouragement that can help your heart. If your heart is, is hard or if your heart is just beat up and just beat down and just broken. It's the kind of encouragement that actually can help you in the deepest part of your soul. How? How can encouragement do that? Well, it's the kind of encouragement that helps us steer clear of temptation. So how do we do that? Luke chapter 11, verse 4. This is what Jesus says. And lead us not into temptation. Jesus is giving his closest friends a model, a guide, a, a pattern for prayer. And it's also the, the pattern that we would use. And here in this section, he begins by saying, give us each day our daily bread. And then that theme continues to run through this section. Give us this day our, our daily bread. Give us each day forgiveness of our sins. Give us each day a desire to forgive others. Give us each day a desire not to hold people's sins over their head. In fact, if we just kind of sum up what Jesus is trying to get across here, we could say it this way. Give us each day anything. You just fill in the blank with whatever it is. Give us each day anything. But be sure you fill in the blank toward God. See, we live in a culture that says, hey, you've got to fight for your rights, man. We live in a culture that says you need to be independent. You need to stand on your own two feet. But Jesus gives his disciples and us a completely different way of thinking, but more specifically, a completely different way of praying. He says you need to pray with desperate dependence on God. One day, Apostle Paul was talking to a group of people that did not believe in God. And this is what he said to them. Acts chapter 17. The God who made the world and all things in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he served by human hands, as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all people life and breath and all things. For in him we live and move and exist. You are breathing right now, not because you have a great pulmonary doctor. You're breathing right now because of the kindness and the grace of God. Your next breath makes you desperately dependent on God. We need to feel that. We need to feel that kind of desperation. You see, we're celebrating 16 years today of our weekday preschool. And we're not celebrating just because we've always had the best directors and the best teachers and the best parents and the best grandparents and the best kids. Although we have always. And we still have the best. Now we're celebrating 16 years of investing in the lives of kids because of the kindness and the grace and the mercy of God. Today's homecoming. 61st birthday. We're not celebrating the birthday of our church just because we've had faithful people who tithed and gave money and worked, although that's part of the reason. We're celebrating 61 years today because this church exists because of the kindness and the mercy 
and the grace of God. You see, you may choose to ignore it, and and many of us do during the week. We don't even realize it. And some of us actually do it on purpose. But you, you may choose to ignore it, but you are desperately dependent on Almighty God. And this church is desperately dependent on Almighty God. The preschool ministry is desperately dependent on Almighty God. Our country is desperately dependent on Almighty God. But sometimes we may not think so. I heard an interesting story this week by Stephen Cole about a a man named Greg Livingston who was asked to come give a a missionary minute at a church one Sunday morning. About 4,000 people at this church. He was given one minute in the morning service. Couldn't do anything more than that one minute. The year was 1979. The Iran hostage crisis was at full gear. And this was the question that he asked in front of the church that morning. How many of you are praying for the 52 American hostages being held in Iran? Unsurprisingly, about 4,000 hands went up. And then he asked this. How many of you are praying for the 42 million Iranians that are being held hostage to Islam? About four hands went up. And then he said this. So are we Americans first and Christians second? You see, even in their prayers, they were tempted to think less of the glory of God, to think less of the gospel. It's not that their prayers were wrong, but their prayers missed the one thing that we've been called to do, and that is all for the glory of God, all for the gospel. Even in our prayers, we can be tempted to not be desperately dependent on God. And that's exactly why Jesus turns to his friends and now to us and says, you need to pray this as often as you can. Lead us not into temptation. The temptation of idolatry. The temptation of adultery. The temptation of immorality. The temptation of apathy. The temptation of worry. The temptation of of vanity. Lead us not into those things. But let me make one clear point here. Temptation is not sin. Temptation can lead to sin, but temptation itself is not sin. If you are looking that second look at that second mint chocolate cheesecake brownie, that might fall into the category of of temptation. But if you eat the seventh mint chocolate cheesecake brownie, then that might fall into the category of gluttony, of sin. But here's the thing. You see, some of us, we freeze up at the second glance. We start beating ourselves up over the second glance. We start feeling tons of guilt over the second glance, and we haven't even crossed the line into sin. And then there's some of us, after the tenth brownie, we don't beat ourselves up at all. We just reach for the eleventh, right? We just keep going. We just don't care. In the words of philosopher William Martin Joel, we need to be careful about going to extremes. Don't go to either one. Don't freak out about temptation and don't blow temptation off. Kevin DeYoung writes, For any number of reasons owing to the world, the flesh, and the devil, we are as human beings sorely tempted. We are tempted to get revenge when someone hurts us. 
We are tempted to hold a grudge when someone disappoints us. We are tempted toward anger and impatience when our kids can't sit straight. None of us have ever been there, have we? We are tempted toward being severely critical when people rub us the wrong way. We are tempted many times every day. And then he says this, if we confuse the contemplation of sin, temptation, if we confuse the attractiveness of sin, temptation, with sin itself, we will feel guilt we aren't meant to feel and miss out on the sympathy of Jesus that we should experience. You see, temptation can lead to deep problems and deep pain. Temptation can even lead to physical or spiritual death. But it doesn't have to. It doesn't have to. See, the next step after temptation, it could be sin. And it could be the the horrible consequences that come with that sin. Or, Or the next step after temptation could be the sympathy of Jesus. Could be the help of Jesus. It could be being rescued from those consequences. Listen, none of us are perfectly going to take the next step every time. We're not going to get it right. This side of heaven, we're all going to sin. We're not always going to take the right next step. But for lack of a better way of saying it, how do we at least do it less? How do we sin less? How do we take that step toward Christ and and be delivered from temptation more than we take the step away from Christ and fall under the suffocating weight of sin. Just a quick note from last week's sermon. If you're refusing to forgive someone, the suffocating weight of sin is on you, not them. See, that's that's what happens in our hearts when we take the next step beyond temptation toward sin. It suffocates us. I had to go to the eye doctor this week and she asked me, she said, so do you take your contacts out at night? Which I'm supposed to be doing. And I said, sometimes. And she said, you really don't need to sleep in your contacts. I was like, okay. And undoubtedly she knew that I wasn't really listening to her. And she said, because it it will suffocate your cornea. (laughs) And I was like, okay, I got it. (laughs) I'm good with that. I remember my hygienist telling me years ago, if you don't floss, it's like inviting fire ants into your gums. Okay, I got that. (laughs) You don't need to say anything else. See, we actually suffocate ourselves when we give in to temptation, when we don't pray as Jesus is telling his friends to pray. So how do we do that? How do we take the right first step or the right next step? Well, some of it goes back to just thinking about what Jesus is saying here. Lead us not into temptation. Now somebody might say, well, hang on a second. If we're praying that God would lead us not into temptation, does that mean God could lead us into temptation? Are we telling him to not do something that that he might do to us? No. God cannot tempt you. James chapter 1, verse 13. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil. And he himself does not tempt anyone. 
God does not and He cannot lead us into temptation. Then why pray this? Well, why would Jesus tell us to pray this? Well, I heard it put this way, and you're going to think it was me who put it this way, but I promise it wasn't me. Someone else said this. But imagine it like this. So you pull into the parking lot of the Double K Ranch, and you know you do not need a dozen hot glazed. You don't need them. You know you don't need them. But you're tempted to get a dozen hot glazed. And so you pull into the parking lot, and you pray something like this. Oh, Lord, as I pull into this parking lot, Lord, if there is not a parking space for me to pull my car into, then I know that that is you protecting me from the temptation of those warm, sugary delicacies. And then 30 minutes later, after you've gone around the building 17 times, miraculously a parking space appears and you pull in and you go, Oh God, thank you for protecting me from temptation. You want me to be here. That's not what Jesus means by lead us not into temptation. See, in that scenario, we we know exactly what we're doing. But keep the scenario and and change it up a little bit. What if you are borderline diabetic, but you don't know it? You have no idea. But the pattern and the practice of your life is to obey Jesus and to engage in this prayer. God, God, today again, lead me not into temptation. And what if God, out of His kindness begins to stir your heart and your mind and even your stomach just to, just to desire sweets less. All of a sudden, your, your prayer, it matters. God actually was protecting you from something that you didn't even know was there. Or imagine you go to the same breakfast spot, the same coffee shop, three or four times a week. And you go in there, and, and after a while you notice there's this other person that's in there three or four times a week. And, and at first, y'all just say hey to one another, and good morning, and welcome. And, and then one morning, you, you notice that they're reading, your Bible, they're reading their Bible, and you're reading your Bible, and you're like, hey, we, we have something in common. Hey, we, we're, we're Christians. And so you begin to talk it up a little more. And over the course of a few weeks, you talk about things you're learning from the Bible, things you're learning about Christianity. And then over time, you begin to open up a little more and you, and you both share with one another how you're both struggling in your marriage and that it's tough and that it's hard. And after a while, you kind of cry on each other's shoulders and, and try to help each other out. Oh, and by the way, the other person is a member of the opposite sex. So all of a sudden, you are now in a situation where at least mentally you're in an inappropriate relationship. You're, you're struggling in your marriage. They're struggling in your marriage. And y'all are struggling together at a coffee shop three or four times a week. So imagine that same scenario underneath the umbrella of obeying Jesus. Lead us not into temptation. And maybe the very first time you go to that coffee shop, you get some, some bad cream in your coffee and break out in purple spots. And man, you never go back. And all of a sudden, a, a whole world you were just rescued from. Now, don't chase those illustrations too far. I just throw them out as examples to to try to get us to to help us to see that that this power behind what Jesus is asking us to pray is, is not a small thing. There is great and deep power in asking God to lead us not into temptation, especially to help us avoid that that we don't even know exists, that we couldn't even recognize. And so in essence, Jesus is saying this, guys, I need you to pray this because it's important for your soul. Give us this day, Father, our daily bread. God, give me what I need. 
God, give me this day forgiveness of my sins. God, please forgive me. God, give me this day a desire to forgive my wife, forgive my husband, forgive my kids, forgive the people who are. Give me a desire to forgive. And God, please, please, on this day, give me this day protection. Lead me not into temptation. I repeat for the good of our minds, God does not and cannot lead us into temptation. But can God test us? Could God lead us into testing? Yes, he can. So what's the difference? Well, I'm going to oversimplify this because I'm overly simple. Basically, it means this. God tests and Satan tempts. God tests and, and Satan tempts. So a temptation actually exists to destroy you. And a testing actually is designed to help you. When I was just a youngster, my mom taught me how to ride a bike. And for a long time, she would run along behind me and hang on to the back seat while I was trying to figure out my balance and learn how to pedal and steer and all those good things. But eventually, she let go of the seat. And when she let go of the seat, I could hear her over behind me. And this is what she said. You're on your own now, you little punk. I hope you crash and burn. That's not what my mom said. See, letting go is not mean. Letting go actually helped me. Letting go helped me grow. It, it built my confidence. Letting go actually created happiness in my life. That may not have created it the first time when I actually did crash and burn. You know, or the second or third or the fourth time, but boy... Eventually, man, when I'm, I'm cruising around that, that big circle at my dad's workplace, man, I was riding high. So letting go created happiness in my life. Let me ask you a question. What is the big thing in your life right now? What are you struggling with? What are you mad about? What are you upset about? What is it that you wish was different? What are you depressed about? What are you stressed about? What prayer do you wish was already answered? Who is it that you're having a hard time forgiving? Who is it that you're refusing to forgive? What is that temptation that's coming to you and telling you to think something you shouldn't? What are you being tempted to do that you know you shouldn't? What are you tempted to say that you know you shouldn't? What are you tempted to ignore that you know you shouldn't? Whatever it is, just if you'll allow me just a, a second, just to give you a truth that has been true since before the foundations of the earth. And that truth is this. God is not mean. God is not stingy. God is not out to get you. God is not hiding behind the bushes waiting for you to mess up so he can jump out and steal your candy. That's not who God is. The same cannot be said for the enemy, though. Satan hates your guts. This is how Peter put it. 1 Peter 5.8 Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. De devour is kind of a big word. See, the enemy is not wanting to trip you up in a, in a field of wildflowers right in front of a, a big, huge pile of, of fluffy imitation goose feather pillows. 
The enemy wants to trip you up on the sidewalk and he wants to rub your face in the concrete until you bleed to death. That is the difference between temptation and testing. The enemy desires your destruction. And God longs to help. But to help you what? I'll help you see this. Just, just two sentences, one sentence really, back. Peter said this, 1 Peter 5, 6, and 7. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God because he cares for you. He cares for you. Listen, God may let go of the seat, but he will never let go of your soul. He may let go of the seed. He, he may allow testing to come. He may allow pain and hurt and problems and chaos and confusion and frustration. He may allow all of that to come, but He will not let go of your soul. That is what is so incredible and so astounding about Christianity. If you are not a Christian, then I want you to know God cares for you. He cares for you so deeply that from joy-filled pain and brokenness, it pleased him for his son to volunteer to die in your place so that you might have a way to be rescued from the temptation of sin and that you might have a way to be rescued from the penalty of sin, to be free. There is no hope for escaping temptation, and there is no hope for the release of the penalty of sin apart from Jesus Christ. There's none. If you're not a Christian, and in your mind Christianity somehow has been defined with phony definitions, meaning that you think Christianity is, is just about being religious or joining a church or, or getting baptized or or just performing good deeds, then I'm sorry for however those lies got to you. But I plead with you to know that God cares for you. And that when Jesus said, come and follow me, what he meant was, come and surrender your entire life to me. Not Sunday mornings, not a Christmas and Easter here and there, but your life. Surrender your life. But here's the thing, that surrender comes with the protection and the care and the love of the God of the universe. That's a pretty good benefit. And even beyond that, it comes with this promise. And the promise is that when you die, you won't really die, but you'll live forever. And the only person who is qualified to give that promise, who can follow through on that promise, is the one who died and came back to life. And that's Jesus Christ. If you're a Christian, or may I say, if you profess to be a Christian, and you are believing the phony confidence that you are good with God simply because you are a member of a church, simply because you have been baptized, simply because you do good deeds, or simply because you are a good, decent, hardworking American. Let me invite you away from those lies 
so that you might truly fall under what it means to be loved and cared for and protected by God and to really surrender your life to Jesus. And if you are a believer, if you are a true follower of Christ, and you know exactly how hard the punches of temptation have felt, then I want to give you some great hope this morning. And that hope is something that we sang about a few moments ago. What should we want more than anything for the next 16 years for our weekday preschool? What should we want more than anything for the next 61 years at Holland Avenue Baptist Church unless the Lord returns? What should be our, our desire, our thirst, our hunger? Well, we sang about it. It goes like this. The soul that on Jesus hath leaned for repose. Fancy old language. Let me update it for it. The soul that rests in and believes in and trusts in and clings to Jesus. That soul, God says, he will what? He will not. He will not desert to his foes. And then we sang this. That soul, though all hell and every single temptation waiting for you tomorrow morning, every single temptation waiting for you when you turn 16 or when you turn 40 or when you turn 80, every temptation, all of them, God's promise from Scripture is this. That soul, though all hell should endeavor to shake, I'll never, no, never, no, never, forsake. I'll never, no, never, no, never forsake. That is how much God cares for you.